Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Hi, everybody. Happy New Year. This is The Rut from The Times and The Sunday Times. Hope you had a lovely Christmas. Hope you avoided the twin perils of COVID and drink. Um, thanks once again for joining us. I'm Stephen Jones from Sunday Times, and I'm joined in the studio today by Mark Evans, who'd be very familiar to uh, all our listeners, and ditto Alan Dimmick, Features Editor of Rugby World. Guys, uh, welcome back for a brand new year. Al, how was your Christmas and how are you doing? Where were you on the weekend? Uh, you talked about the twin perils of drink and Omicron. I, I fell foul of both of those, so... <laughs> I need a I need a holiday from my holiday, I think, Steve. But thankfully, there was uh, some well, plenty of rugby to watch on the box, and uh, I, you know I think we'll get into it at the weekend. Uh, a lot of a lot of arm wrestling, not so much continuity, but plenty to talk about. And which which made you feel worse, the drink or the or the Omicron? Well, I was in Scotland with my parents for a long part, so definitely the drink. Jesus. Well, okay, fine, <laughs> fine, well done, Mark. Um, a good Christmas and. Um, Happy to be delving into another year of pro rugby. Absolutely, yeah. Had a go went, went to the big game at Twickenham. Me and seventy thousand others. Well, right. your idea? Was well, your idea? Yeah, but they did, they did it. That was a long time ago, and then they did it really, really well. It was a great event. We need more events. Terrific, and uh, yeah, enjoyed the rugby at the weekend. This latest round, I thought there were some really interesting performances, and I think it's starting to just as we reach halfway next next game, next round, it's just starting to thin out at the top I think yeah that's a very good point I was going to make that myself I think you're dead right okay um, also coming up this week we're going to discuss the recent news that Leicester are being investigated for historic salary cap breaches when I say historic that doesn't mean the biggest ever it just means in his, back back in history but we'll look back on uh, we'll have a chat about that we'll look back on the new year rugby in the premiership we'll also have a women's roundup. we'll pick our god and goddess of the week Uh, now we move on to probably um, rugby's big story at the moment and um, broken by a big journalist, Alex Lowe in The Times, and it's the alleged transgressions of the salary cap by Leicester, uh, which would make them the second team to to do so in the last few years. And um, if we look at the fate of uh, Saracens, uh, Leicester may have something to worry about, or do they? Over to Alex Lowe. OK, so... The state of play at the moment is that the Premiership Rugby's salary cap director, as he's now called, Andrew Rogers, is investigating 
Leicester and their links to an image rights company called Worldwide Image Management to determine the nature of third-party payments that were made to players and whether or not that breaches the salary cap regulations and whether or not it took it would take Leicester over the salary cap if those image rights payments were determined to have been salary. No charges have been brought as yet, but Leicester have confirmed after we went to print that, that they are aware of allegations that have been made against them. And so Andrew Rogers is, is now looking into this company. And since since the Saracens scandal, he now has the power to to interview players, look at their WhatsApps, look at their emails, look at their bank statements and their tax records, which should make it fairly straightforward to compare what the players received over the past five years, which is the limit of his investigative scope, uh, with what the, the club declared during that same period. Leicester themselves are are, are talking of... I mean, Steve, Steve Borthwick used the phrase mismanagement. They're very, they're very clearly pointing the finger at the previous regime that if anything went wrong, they believe it, was, it would have happened before Steve Borthwick arrived, before... Andrea Pynchon took over as chief executive. She's been at the club in different roles previously. So that, I think, is, is the latest where we are on, on this. It's, there are no, no charges yet, but it's, it's a matter under investigation. Alex, can I just add this one question? Uh, in, in the financial world, if um, a whole new board comes in and uh, it's found earlier that... Uh, it found that in an earlier time there were there were transgressions. Well, it's it doesn't it, you don't escape because you happen to have new personnel there. No, I, I, absolutely, and I, I don't think I don't think that would happen. Um, what I think it looks to me like is that if if anything went wrong, they're saying that within the five years that actually reduces the number of years that Andrew Rogers is, is potentially examining um, because there were changes at the, at the top of the club. Because it could have predated it, couldn't it? In early 2020. I don't think if, if, if anything's found to have happened between 2016 and 2020, the fact that there are now new people in charge won't... I don't, I don't think that would save um, Leicester from, from any punishment. And I was told that if there were any breaches of regulations, then they're not of the same sort of financial size as Saracens, but... The, if you read the regulations now, anything over two hundred grand a year could trigger a fine, fifty point deduction. Relegation is still listed in the list of punishments. So, you know, this, that, that's some way down the line. We haven't got that far yet, um, and we may not. But, but the investigation is is, is underway. Just, oh. just, just from the the club side of things, Alex. I mean, Leicester tend to be quite tight lipped on a lot of things. But are you hearing any noises about any fear from there, or scrambling, or or anything of that? Or they're obviously wanting to convince us that it's all it's business as usual, and they'll go out and win games, which they have been doing. But any noises of, of fear? I got the. It, what was interesting is when, when we obviously we had to had to put it to them um, at the time. Um, and they didn't want to make a comment. But very soon after we went to print, Premiership Rugby issued a statement which said very little. Basically said, we can't comment on these, on, on investigations while they're underway. I think Leicester were, were, were probably supposed to say the same thing. But again, back to what I was saying about this new regime, they came out and said, we're aware of the allegations and we're cooperating as much as we can. Um, which again, I think is is an effort to show that 
that the leaders there now are trying to say we don't have anything to hide um we don't know what what will be discovered in the books as they as Andrew Rogers goes through it but I think the club uh, instead of going on the going, becoming aggressive and 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 um firing back they are they want to give the impression to their supporters and their sponsors that they they will be as cooperative as, as possible um I thought it was just notable that they they commented on it when the league themselves didn't say anything I think it might be worth for the listeners to put this whole area into some kind of context because image rights contracts have been around for ages ages and ages in lots and lots of sports um usually the problem with them is a tax problem so the the, the organization you're usually having to clear things with for image rights contracts is hmrc because way back what back in the day in the noughties they were they were incredibly common in rugby and they were given out to players who frankly didn't have an image in their own backyard never mind in the wider public uh, and also was a, a really high percentage of their of their total remuneration it was a way of getting players more money um, with less tax okay there was a big clamp down around about 2010 2011 from memory and HMRC made it very clear that it could only go to players with a, a genuine high profile uh, in this country and up to 15% of their total salary could be allotted to to uh, image rights. So lots of clubs, and I'm, I don't know I'm, whether a lot still do, but I wouldn't be at all surprised that there's nothing illegal about image rights contracts. But the second point then is you have to declare them. Mm. If you are paying a player who is in your employ an image right contract, you have to declare it in the salary cap, and it counts. It counts like anything else. Just like if you're paying a, a relative of the player, that goes in the cap. You know, it's pretty all-encompassing. So the question will come back to: Were these image rights to players declared in the cap submissions, and were they signed off? Because you have to sign off that what you are declaring is everything, and that that's quite clear. And that will. And then it comes down to the scale, the the amount, the quantum of overspend, if there is an overspend. Um, I'm not as well informed as you, Alex, but um, I, I I do hear one or two whispers that it's nothing like the same level of, of alleged overspend mm. as we've had in the recent past. Um, but we shouldn't... A, I've heard people say, oh, we shouldn't go backwards. Well, you've got to go backwards. You, you don't find these things in real time. <laughs> that, that is ludicrous. And I've also heard people say, oh, well, less were rubbish between 2015 and 20. Why do we bother? Well, you bother because any club breaking the salary cap increases the likelihood of other clubs following because we are inherently competitive. Uh, I mean, I can remember a time when Parramatta Eels got done for breaking the salary cap and they were bottom. They came last not only were they a rubbish team, they were they were breaching the cap. It's totally irrelevant, and um, I couldn't disagree more with Alex Anderson saying you should change a blind. A tr I found that extraordinary. Turn a blind eye to it because it was it was upsetting when it happened to us. I mean, I'm sorry, that's just nonsense. The um, th that the point about image rights is is the crux of it here because, from my understanding, in the past, players at Leicester would receive. A an employment contract with a club and an image rights contract with a club. Um, they would also receive a third sign a third contract, but with worldwide image management. That's what I've been told. So the key here, as you said, Mark, is 
does that third contract between the player and the club, uh, between the player and the company, was that facilitated by the club? And if so, was it declared as part of the salary? Because yeah. otherwise, player A will take home, let's say, 200 grand, but his two contracts with the club might only be 175 Correct. grand, and the, the separate contract could be 25 grand. Now, What's the? Is there any link between Leicester and that and that company? And if so, I believe that that third contract would then have to also be that, declared. That's absolutely right. I mean, the, the key word there is facilitated. It is anything that the club or anybody closely linked to the club called an associated entity. Anything that comes through them has to be put into the salary cap. So if it, there are loads and loads of third-party deals that players, very high-profile players, it should be said, do through their agent with third parties that have got nothing to do with the club. The club don't even know about them. And that's absolutely fine because those are genuine commercial uh, arrangements that the player has entered into of his own free will through his representative. This is not the same thing if it is this. That, you know, that, that, that where it becomes a salary cap issue is if somebody within the club facilitated that payment. So if in, in a way it's a ghost payment, it doesn't really, it isn't really a commercial entity. It's, a, it's just a way to give players more money without declaring in the cap. And image rights, perfectly legitimate. And perfectly even image rights from, I interviewed Nick Garcia, the, the chief exec of Ospreys, a few weeks ago, and we ended up talking about uh, his, big, his big drive really was that, that uh, as, as I think we've probably spoken about on mm. here before, Mark, that it's the players that attract fans. So, as you grow the the cult of the of the player, my question to him was: Is that will that be the next area for private equity to to invest into? Because you could buy a portion of the players' commercial rights and 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 make money out of that. But so we we were already talking about yeah. that. You and tend that, to buy the management company, to be honest. What what and it's already starting to happen. Yeah. What private equity and other venture capital. Um, sort of uh, organisations are looking at with more interest is actually to buy pl not individual players because that's quite risky. You know, you want to have that player gets injured. It's, it's actually to buy the management companies mm. that represent the players. If you think that's where player salaries are going to go and players' commercial value is going to go, you look to invest in that part of the landscape. So it's, but it's, it's a legitimate... It's a legitimate operation. One of the one of the other questions that Andrew Rogers will need to answer is what the players did to justify the, receiving the image rights. You can't. The image rights have to be valued at um, at, a, at a reasonable level. So, you know, an England starting player will have a much greater image right than than the backup. You know, scrum half from from a Premiership club because whose image rights will be roughly in the region of zero. Yeah, you, you have to you have to have a certain image in order to justify image rights, but you also have to do something to justify the payment. So you have to have turned up to events. You have to have used your image um, in a commercial, and you have to be setting. able to demonstrate it. And to be yeah. fair, the inland revenue asked for that too. Yeah. So so if it's a genuine image rights contract, there is a paper trail and there is a record and mm. there is a contract of what your obligations are, like any other employment contract. The, the, the company in question shut down voluntarily in February. Its two directors were Justin Page, who um, used to be a, a rugby agent, now based in, in LA, and a, a, a man called Tony Lim, who is an accountant um, in Derby. But he's a, he has 
other interests in this area. I think he's a secretary of Casper Schmeichel's company, and and he's a he's a specialist. Accountant may be quite the, not quite the right word, but he's a he's a specialist in this field of of, of image rights and um, particularly overseas players uh, coming to England, um, whether they're footballers or, or rugby players. Mark, um, is this the only way the, the, the way the salary cap is 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 policed at the moment? Uh, I understand you think it's not the only way that it can be done. No, I, I, I think that we're actually asking the salary cap to do too much because we haven't got quite a number of other things around it that makes the salary cap more effective. I think the changes that we made in the light of the miners' report uh, and uh, whatever have been, have been were needed and that closed off a lot of loopholes and, and what have you. But But I think this shows again that we still as a sport lack other things around the cap that make it to make it harder to evade. We haven't got huge amounts of money in the sport at the moment, so that's the reason probably why Andrew Rogers can only go back five years. He's, he's not got a big team. It's a very, very small amount of resource put into the middle to enforce compliance. Well, so that's, a, that's one issue. The st- but then there are other things we could do that we haven't done yet that would make it much more difficult to evade. Um, so, for example, I've argued long and hard for a, for a, for a maximum squad size. So let's say 38 players that you can only your salary cap covers your top 38 and below that you have a minimum wage. OK, so that you, you, you it's, so you can't create a player. I would get rid of the injury clause allowances. I would get rid of the marquee player um, allowances. Um, I also think we need to um, have a minimum wage as well. So there's a lots of things you can put around. You're not going to bore our listeners by go through a whole lot of very sort of arcane things you can do. But in, you only have to look at lots of other sports who have got a salary cap system that is more effective to see there are still some things we could do that wouldn't cost any money at all that would make it even more difficult to find a way around something that's absolutely central if we want to have a competitive and uncertain outcome and every club in with a chance to winning it every year. Okay, thank you guys. Thank you, Alex, especially. It was your story which you are piloting through expertly and I hope that's uh, made it uh, or gave some clarity to our listeners regarding Leicester and uh, their salary cap transgressions or not and um, how ironic it would be after all this time when they've been down in the doldrums, they suddenly fall foul when they're top of the table. And next, we're going to get into the latest round of Premiership fixtures. OK, let's uh, just push on to investigate the Premiership now. It's another, another big weekend, um, afflicted by COVID by uh, today, Monday, when um, London Irish and Bath was postponed, otherwise very, very good and and um, um, newsworthy um, uh, weekend with some decent rugby. Um, let's just talk about Exeter and Bristol first, two teams which are down on their performances of, of last year. Uh, Exeter came home, in my opinion, actually Bristol showed some signs of rediscovering just a little of their of their dash from the previous season. Mark um, Exeter. Uh, in the end, won, won well enough, much better, but not really themselves yet. No, not 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 by quite a way. I would say 
they they had so much ball in that game against Bristol, and they had so much territory. It was it was really quite bemusing how they didn't put more points and bury the game. It, it, it was weird. Bristol weren't in it for, for huge swathes of the game. They were taken apart in the scrummage. They were taken apart at the breakdown. Their line-out didn't function. Um, and yet, with an intercepts-based try in the last 10, 15 minutes, they were, ne- they were nearly in it. Um, the intercept was the thing that kicked their backsides and got them back in the game, didn't it? Yeah, uh, but, but I mean, they, I thought they played better the week before, I know, okay. against Leicester, when I thought they really did look quite close to it, and their defensively, and their defence has definitely picked up. They were very porous, but they got a lot better. But when, when, it, got back to, when it got back to 12-10... Because you're right, Chiefs were miles ahead in terms of possession, in terms of aggression. They were just streets ahead. But um, when it got back to 12-10, I thought, oh my God, is this going to be a repeat of last week? And then I was mm, thinking, mm, oh my God, how are mm. Bristol going to uh, how are they going to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory? But in the end, it's almost become a catchphrase on this. Everyone say it, one, two, three, Exeter, don't panic. No. And they just stuck to what they do best. And uh, amazingly, I wrote this down. It's the first Chiefs win at home against Bristol in three years. Is I mean, that that's right? that's yeah, and that's that's incredible to think that that Chiefs have God. They're almost like the Borg in Star Trek. They'll they'll take they'll take they'll get shots fired at them, and they'll learn from all these things, and they'll come back stronger. So even if they weren't playing fantastic, despite having all of that possession and aggression and dominance, they still find a way to do the job. Yeah. In my opinion, the, the the key man for them was Dave, Dave Hughes, Hughes, who I thought yeah. was absolutely monumental. Uh, he, he's got this thing, though, they used to just give it to him when you knew he was coming. Now he's got this thing of coming coming round the back and coming late, and I just thought he was tremendous. And and also the good news, and I spoke to spoke to him afterwards, that Jack now looked fitter and, and, and closer to his best than I'd seen him for a long, long time. Spoke, am I, am spoke I, well afterwards. Am I right in saying that he's given up booze? He's given up booze. He, he revealed that in an interview with with me. Did he? Uh, okay. Yeah, I was. Uh, all the Daily Boys were um, were filing, so I had to do the interview on my own, and I got out of him that he's given up booze. Uh, he did so some time ago, and uh, for a man who's got a pub, I think he spent the Christmas period, sadly, standing outside his own pub. It's like, not, that's not like giving golf in. balls to your granny for Christmas. Uh, Jack Nowell is, uh, uh, for me, I'm not going to analyse, um, overanalyse backs because I'm, I'm not um, eligible to, but uh, he is such a tough boy. He's so difficult. He's so bubbly. Uh, he plays well above his weight. And I, I just think he's a England player if he keeps his recovery if, uh, and, and a better better player than some people. It, it would be great to win. see him back to his in his pomp because he hasn't been. Let's, let's be honest. He's been a, he's been a bit of a shadow, a bit a bit like the team. Really hasn't been playing badly, yeah. but at the, when, at the top of his game, he's involved so much. He plays all over the pitch. He he goes looking for work, and he he just hasn't looked. I quite you're right, Stephen. Until this weekend, or maybe the last weekend as well, he hasn't looked as physical. Uh, as as he was in their great in their great years, and it would be great to see him back. Um, I, I on the other team, Bristol. I I just think they look. Uh, they were as you say, Al. They were they were out of it. I mean, they just got bullied, uh, and that is not the what used to happen to Bristol. I, I think the I think the thing about Bristol uh, is, and I agree with Mark that last week against Leicester, well, it's almost the bigger the challenge, the better they look. Yeah. So, so far this season but still haven't had enough and it's there were points in that game where I was watching it and, and continuity keeping the ball alive seemed to be an issue for a lot of teams over the weekend but uh, one of the things I, I watched them I kept thinking was it's all cloak and no dagger 
you know there's a lot of there's a lot of movement there's a lot of uh, nice patterns or great intention and there's phenomenal attacking players on the ball um, but taking it into contact at the, at the the wrong times it's, I find myself and this is almost sacrilege to say this out loud but I find myself watching that game going semi radrada sometimes it's okay to pass the ball before contact like riding a tackle and throwing a backdoor offload is fantastic and it can break the game open like absolutely shatter the game open and be exceptional stuff but sometimes you just got to give it to someone else and it just felt like there was a lot of lateral stuff and, mm. Uh, you know, fine intent, but not actually breaking through. They're two absolute world class backs when they're at the top of their game, are not playing anywhere near the top of their game. Charles Piatau is not. I know he went off again, didn't he? Mm-hmm. So you've got the problem with injury, but also he he he, he was peripheral. He, he whilst he was on, it was it, you. You had to remind yourself he was playing. And I have never seen Radrada drop the ball so often. He must have dropped the ball in open play at least three times, which for your, for your centre is is unforgivable. So although they're doing... So I think, as I say, their defence have picked up, I think, uh, you know, that, but they don't look anywhere near still. And 12th is, I'm afraid, a, an accurate position for them at the minute. As a positive, just to jump in there as well, is for over 14,000 people... Yes, up at that game. At the yeah. It was, it was a record for Exeter. You, you've got to give them credit for new that. Stand. Yeah, it's uh, and there's a great new stand that's now open. And actually, two sections of it were not open, so technically they're almost up to seventeen thousand with their capacity. It was it was really good. I think Bristol. I slightly disagree. I think Bristol, when they got a couple of players back, are, are slightly closer to not last season, but slightly closer to say mid table uh, than they are at the moment. Um, Sale are not close to mid table. They're, they're Chugging along pretty well, uh, pretty well, maybe not dominant. Um, pr- uh, Mark um, Wass didn't really have the firepower in their squad uh, this week to, to take sail much of the way. No. The, look, Wass do what Wass do at the moment when they are massively under strength, and they are hugely under strength still, way, way more under strength than Bristol are, for example. Um, they hang in there. They, they, I've got a lot of time for us. I admire their, their, their whole setup in lots of ways. But they are just so short of their first choice. I mean, everyone can absorb three or four, but they're having to absorb eight, nine, ten, eleven mm. uh, of their starters. And Sale, who were much closer to their first choice team, just were too powerful for them. And what's do they? You can never write them off. They hung in. They've got good spirit. They they. To get it back to eight points at the end was extraordinary because they were blown away first half. Yeah. I'll, I'll, let me ask you about Sale. Um, they're, they're always contenders, never never <coughs> dominant contenders. Should they reach the top four, which they almost certainly will, have they got it in them to win a couple of huge games against teams like Leicester, Saracens, possibly Exeter, who, who are used to being in the last four? Well, uh, it's, it's, yeah, you're you're correct in saying that they've been on the steady rise. I think we we plotted their uh, finishing positions uh, for the last three seasons before this one, and they'd they'd gone up a step every year. So they were on a, a progression. Um, f- on evidence of this season so far, you'd have to say no. Um, they they just don't seem you know. There's, we're starting to see a division between the top of this league and, and the bottom, as we mentioned at the top, and that's very clear. And you can almost see the separation line about exactly where Northampton are. They're almost the marker of where where teams are, are falling off the pace. Um, but with Sale, they just haven't... It, it, they've made the hard work of it. 
this season and it almost feels like whilst the team has been on a steady progression maybe we're not quite sure what their identity is yet under the the coaches uh, the coaching team that they've got it's maybe that needs a refresh at some point um but also just looking at the way they play i mean for example in this game they won 26-18 but a lot of people would say that Ben Curry scored a try that should not have stood mm. does that flatter the scoreline a little bit look they were completely dominant and wasps couldn't couldn't really lay a glove on them physically but will they be able to maintain that when they get into the, the the upper end and potentially playoffs, I'm not not convinced yet. They've got time to turn it around, though. I not, think they'll make the playoffs. I can't see them making top four. I think they lost. They've almost lost too many games already. Uh, that will come back to bite me, won't it? It, it seems to me <laughs> at, at a time when uh, quite a few clubs are uh, selling on their fly half fly halves when they're playing not at all badly. Sale are now losing AJ AJ McGinty, who's I thought was. I thought it was excellent. So, so was, was, was outstanding. So they're still going. It's just, uh, Mark, you, you were saying before we came on that um, uh, it's it's been quite even. Uh, there's been a top six or seven who were, who were beating each other. But now we feel that there is a kind of elite breaking away. Uh, just this weekend, I looked at it and thought, hmm, yeah, you got you got Leicester. Obviously, they're top four, aren't they? I think we'd all agree on that yeah. already. We're only halfway. They've lost a game. Well, they've, um, they've accrued fifty points already, and they've won eleven from eleven. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's uh, we we we've spoken about them enough on this podcast. But uh, Leicester Tigers. Uh, I mean, I just noted down one thing from from the weekend uh, is that they need to win two more games away from home to 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 beat their record for most wins away from home. I, I saw that from Stuart Farmer uh, the other day, and. Uh, and their next two games are away from home against Wasp and Sale, the two teams that we've just spoken about. So potentially mm. they could make history over the next two games. That's phenomenal stuff. So you've got them, and then you've got Saracens. I don't think anyone around this table is going to say Saracens aren't going to be in the top four. Mm. All right, so there's two slots gone already. And then you've got Exeter, um, who looked, who do look to be coming back a little mm. bit. And again, I, I can't see Exeter not making the top four. So you've got one left. Well, Quinn's have had a little bit of a wobble, but have just come back and won two games. I mean, they beat Gloucester quite... Cut. I mean, second half, Gloucester did not fire a shot. I no, mean, Quinn's no. completely dominated them with the wind. I think the, 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 the conditions, they didn't play great first half. Gloucester were better, but Quinn's came back and dominated it. It's hard. I, I, I mean, I'm biased, but I, I think Quinn's will be top four as well. And that means that doesn't even include Gloucester, who I think are playing pretty well, mm. and Northampton, who have got a game that will beat the worst teams but won't trouble the best. I think that's the way I'd describe them at the moment. I think they've got they've got flaws in their makeup around their front row in particular. And I don't just mean in the scrummage, I mean in the more general play as well. Um, so I find it difficult, given the start they've had, to see how Sale, who I agree, and I was amongst them, awful lot of people predicted top four for them this year. In fact, I saw quite a lot of pundits saying they thought they might win the whole thing. I think that's looking increasingly unlikely. Yeah, yeah just just for, to go back to Saracens. Surprisingly, in a way, they, they've been quite low profile. Their their, their um, efforts in the in in the in the uh, Premiership this year, but um, there were two people stood out for me. One was un, unsurprisingly Maruitoji, who I thought was back to whatever his greatest is. I thought he was actually tremendous and kind of shored up the fact that Saracen had a. Saracens had an odd-looking front row out and and struggled up there. And the other one was Alex Lazowski, who is is one of the players of the season. He kicked twenty points. Uh, just uh, you know, wherever he goes, he seems to fit in, do do well. Ten, twelve, thirteen, 
and mark um, what you know, whoever they get rid of to to cut to, down to the salary cap, it won't be him. Presumably. No, well, he's just re-signed, isn't he? In fact, they've announced oh, a whole is, yeah. host of re-signings. Yeah. Um, and, and, and look, Saracens, I think, are playing really, really well. And, I, and for everyone who lo- loves rugby, will be glad to see that they're now they are, all the indicators are they're now doing it within the regulations. I mean, you you know, the, the key marker here is you you know a, you you pretty much know you know, that, that a team that's uh, compliant with the salary cap like Exeter, for instance, you see first-choice players leaving. It is impossible to keep your first-team players all under the cap if you are playing by the rules. So, you know, Sam Hill, Johnny Hill off to Sale, Sam Skinner off to uh, Edinburgh. You know, there's a, there's a team that clearly is, you know, compliant. Saracens have let Vincent Koch go to Wasps. Now, I can't remember in the last six years sort of Brown between about 2013 to 2019, Saracens ever, ever let a first-choice starter leave the club. I may be wrong, other than through retirement. Other than through retirement. I can't. I may have missed one. I apologise if I have. But um, it is... It's really good. They're a really well-coached team. They've got a very good culture. And they're playing... They're playing the Saracens way and it's a it's very very effective they are a, a genuine contender yeah, well well coached is the key there and the Saracens way I'd, I'd pick up on that as well because in, in fact Leicester's uh, perfect record I mean the one game they could have lost and could easily have lost was was against mm. Saracens and mm. Welford Road where even Steve Borthwick said blame me we you know we sneaked in there so yeah and just just on on the weekend as well against Northampton um you know, we're getting penalised up front a couple of times, Saracens, but it went on to win uh, thirty points to six, and Saracens went on to, on to win. And the thing is, is that they did it in a very Saracens way, as as Mark says. They they absorbed and they absorbed and they absorbed and they learnt through the game, and then they went, okay, here's where we, bing bang boom, here's where we go through. And it was it felt a bit like David versus Goliath, where David gets squashed into jam because eventually, just Saracens just out Saracens them and got through there. But I, I'd like to dwell on the uh, the game on Sunday that Mark mentioned briefly there, of, uh, Gloucester seventeen Quinns twenty, because I find it a fascinating game. And it's whilst we're talking about this upper echelon, those are two teams where where they come out in the wash in the top four. You could see both of them in there, or you could mm. see neither of them, or you could mm. see Quinns Quinns sneaking in Quinns. Quinn's edged this one against Gloucester but I thought Gloucester played pretty well considering again um, I think the fight scenes in the movie Braveheart had more continuity than in this game but the um, and we almost saw a, a world class try from Valrabhava Ruskin oh. that he dropped over the line would have been mean, try that, of the season that it? would have been a worldie um, and he got a few penalties up front and then went off uh, at half time so there was it was eeksy peeksy in this game but the difference was Esther Hazen in midfield and Danny Kerr's play from nine and there was a point in the second half where I find myself going oh yeah where it felt like 10 minutes into the second half Quinns went okay we figured out your attacking structure now Gloucester and every time Adam Hastings got the ball he was under immense pressure because they weren't buying the the dummy runs they weren't buying um, the decoy runners they were just lining him up and hammering him there was one went the other way when Rue and Ackerman absolutely um, demolished uh, Don Brandt caught him from the blind side but apart from that all the defensive reads were going from Quinn's way and that and the smart scuttling and catching um, from Danny Kerr against a pretty ineffective Gloucester kicking game was was the difference but it be fascinating to see where those two teams come out in the wash uh, Al Braveheart let it go okay <laughs> let it go <laughs> 
Yeah, I agree with that, Mark. I, 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 I'm gonna. Because I, I know people you talk about Quinns all the time, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go back to the Saris game because that made the point I didn't oh. make then, which was, is it just me or do Leicester now look just like Saris did about four or five years ago? Uh, that, that, I think the way they play is 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 really quite similar. Um, they they mm-hmm. they very very strong reliant on their set piece. They got a, a very strong kicking game. They chase really really hard. They have an excellent line-out drive, and they and they can play a bit as well. But they and and but they make it. You made the point there. Northampton went. Saracens weren't at full strength at the weekend, and they, as you say, made a cut. Had to make quite a lot of changes, and their squad now is not as deep as it used to be. All right, so it, it's more difficult for them. But they, they great win, but they absorb, absorb, absorb. They're very hard to score against. And I know it's a terrible cliche, defence wins championships, but the two best defensive sides at the moment, I think, by quite some distance, are Saracens and Leicester. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, 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 and I, I look at the Steve Borthwick team now and it doesn't half remind me of the Saracens team of about 14, 15. It really does in the way they play. Um, okay. Is that just me? Uh, no, that's, that's a fair point. Um, Mark? Uh, b- big cut in the in the um, salary cap. You can't. You can spend much less on players. I actually have not never been welded to this. They've all got to be England qualified. I love it when, as a, uh, I used to love it as a father with two kids, taking them down to where you could see a great player like Wayne Shelford and and everyone up to set to Radrada. Obviously, what's going to happen? Will the Premiership be inferior or will it decline? Especially when you've got Leinster paying a lot of money and, and French uh, clubs paying a lot of money. Will we have a, a bit of a down period for the English clubs in Europe and also amongst themselves? Um, not necessarily. And, and I think you, you've got to be careful here that you, you don't look at what's happening in other leagues and that somehow the Premiership is starting to do things differently. The uh, the URC is there are very strict overseas limits on the number of non-Scottish, non-Irish, non-Welsh players that can be in all of the teams. The GIF regulations in France have really, really changed the composition of French squads. They are now predominantly French, yeah. and Japan's just the same. What I mean is, a fair point, but leave aside nationality and let's talk about quality. Well, around the squad, around the. Okay, but you, you, you were raising the point about overseas players and I was just countering and saying all of the four big leagues now do have regulations around the number of overseas and they tend to be roughly similar and I think the Premiership will be any different. Will it, will it reduce the, the, the quality of the game? Well, no, I don't think so unless you see a significant, by which I mean double digit at least, exodus of top quality players out of the league. And at the moment, I don't see too much evidence of that what i think you will see is move more movement um the idea that um i think anthony watson probably will uh, leave bath because that that squad needs a refresh and it needs to be restructured again and to do that you have you often as leicester tigers showed you actually have to move some people on um, and I think Sale are showing some signs of, of doing of doing much the same thing. You know, AJ McGinty is a key player for them, but they clearly didn't think it was worth matching the offer that you received from Bristol. So I I've never believed that England is 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 one of the, the is England is the set, produces I think the second most players of any country in the world. Right? If 
if we genuinely think the only way to have qual- a quality league is to push the salary cap up, we will have a long, hard look at our player development systems. Because one thing England rugby hasn't uh, has got some things it hasn't but one thing it has got is a huge number of players the player base is absolutely enormous in relation it's bigger than France's it's bigger than Japan's it's bigger than the the three Celtic nations put together England should not hide behind oh my word they're all going to go no there's enough players if they're well developed and they've got good coaching and they're given opportunities the league will continue to be what it is which is very entertaining and a really good product on the field when you take out well over a million per club there's no way however you you view it there's no way that they can be of the same quality of course they can you have the same players being paid less so when when what are your um um what's the evidence since 1995 when the game went pro that the players will play will will accept being paid less (coughs) and substantially less there's no evidence that it won't happen because we've never really tried it there's so no you're trying. You're, will happen, well, you're trying to ask me to prove a negative, which is impossible. So, at the end of the day, if you would argue, as I do, that the Premiership has lived beyond its means for nearly all of its existence, apart from a short period of time in the early noughties, you take the Pat Lamb position, which I fundamentally disagree with. And Pat said this week, "I was against the lowering of the salary cap. It should come. It, you sh- it should come down to what you can afford." I couldn't disagree with that more. I couldn't disagree with that more. And I think it's a, I think it's, it's a bit rich coming from a bloke who's director of rugby of the, with the richest owner in the league to say well, it all should come down to what your club can afford. If you've heard me say this many, many times, we've increased spending on players year on year on year on year and losses have gone up year on year on year. Well, actually, they've gone up in waves, OK? It is about time we grew up and basically said, we're going to pay the players what the game generates and not more than what it generates, and we're going to concentrate on developing our players. We should be concentrating, putting resources into player development rather than the easy way out, the sort of the sort of fix of saying, oh, we'll just bang the salary cap up again, we'll just bang it up again, because that way the league will, it will, will get better. I, I just don't think it stacks up. First of all, I, I, I agree with Pat Lamb. Secondly, don't well, while you criticise him, don't forget he's the guy who played for Samoa for Tuppence Apney and gave away millions by not playing for the All Blacks. And um, you're now saying that our industry is the only one in which all the employees welcome their salaries going down by a considerable amount. I'm just saying oh. that we should be in a league that pays a, signi- a proportion of what the league generates rather than rather than relying on the subsidy of wealthy owners. I think it's a very, very poor way to grow the sport. OK, um, we'll finish the, the show with our God and Goddess of the Week. But first of all, over to Jess Hayden. Jess has got her roundup of the latest in the women's game. The Premier 15s is back after a short festive break for most teams. But while most of us were still scoffing cheese and wine, there was one big fixture in the women's league. On the 27th of December, Harlequins welcomed Wasps to Twickenham Stadium as part of their big game 13 fixture, a doubleheader with Harlequins men who played Northampton Saints. It was the first Premier 15s match at Twickenham and was attended by a record-breaking crowd of 9,000 fans. The first half was a close-fought battle, Harlequins just edging Wasps 7-5 at the break, 
but the defending Premier 15's champions Harlequin soon pulled away in the second half and ended the day 29-5 ahead. A special mention must go to Jessica Breach, the Harlequins winger who scored a try on her comeback just two months after breaking her back. At the start of the new year, Bristol Bears remain top of the table and are joined in the top four by Harlequin Saracens and Exeter Chiefs. This weekend's fixtures begins with a West Country derby as Gloucester Hartbury travel to Shaftesbury Park to play the league leaders Bristol. Watch out for Gloucester's Zoe Aldcroft, who won World Rugby's Women's Player of the Year last month. Wasps face Loughborough Lightning next as both teams try to regain a top four position. Wasps and Loughborough finished last season in the playoff positions, but as the league has become more competitive this season, both sides have struggled to find their place in the top half of the table. The other fixtures for this week are Cell Sharks vs Exeter Chiefs, Harlequins vs Worcester Warriors and finally Saracens vs DMP Durham Sharks. Thank you Jess. Um, gentlemen, God or Goddess of the Week, the first of the year. Let's have some good choices. We'll have um, Owl. Yep. Well, uh, just as Mark, I'm on with Mark again, and he introduced the idea of the Devil of the Week. I did toy <laughs> with the idea of having one of those. Uh, the, the story broke over the last 24 hours in Japan that Blake Ferguson, the former NRL star, had been caught, uh, allegedly caught with, in cocaine possession. He was arrested on those charges, and within an instant, he has been almost wiped all evidence of him has been wiped from Japan's new league Japan League 1 he's NEC Rockets uh, Michael Checker's team uh, he's disappeared from their website and it appears that he's been sacked so obviously in a hell of a place but I don't want to uh, kick someone when they're down so I, I toyed with who my god of the week would be I saw the story that the great Oz Durant was going to be joining Russia as scrum coach and I wondered whether I'd make him the god of the week but in the end it came down to uh, Joshua Tuisova the great Fijian wing uh, for Leon. He, in a very tight game, and there was if you get a chance to look at the highlights from the top 14 at the weekend, do because it was phenomenal. Uh, Leon beat Racing, Claremont beat the uh, champions Toulouse. Uh, lots of really fascinating stuff in there. But Joshua Tuasova helped get Leon over the line against Racing by scoring a phenomenal, well, setting up a phenomenal try of taking on three or four or five thousand defenders, bumping one, spinning the other, throwing an offload, <laughs> uh, and leading to leading to a try. So, and I just thought. That's entertaining stuff. So my God of the Week is Joshua Tuasova. Uh, two or 3,000 uh. defenders. That's, that must have taken a hell of a planned move. <laughs> Mark, uh, anyway, Sorry, you're, I'm, you're I'm, God or I'm goddess. still chuckling about that description. Of it. Now, um, <laughs> that's a hell of a thing in, in Japan. I didn't pick that one up. That I mean, anyone knows anything about Japanese culture and, and the, that drug abuse is just the number one. You just don't ever come back from that in Japan. It's extraordinary. Yeah, well, there we are. Well, we need to see what comes out in the wash for that. The, yeah. the case I'm not, but not it's sure it's of all the, the details. But out of history, yeah. I think that's really interesting. Um, mine's much more, to, much more sort of you know, just going on performed this week in the Premiership. I, I was very tempted to go for Steve's favourite debut viewers because I thought he was absolutely terrific. Mm. But I'm going to go because his second man in the match in the in a row. Andre Esterhazen is is playing up a storm. He it's not just his carrying, which obviously helps enormous a lot. Is 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 three turnovers, four turnovers in 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 a really big turnovers too. Just don't go to ground near him. And 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 his left footed long touch finders. He's he's so involved in the game. Um, he's 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 playing up a storm. How the spring? I know they've got Allende and and De Allende and his mate, but. He's, he surely should be on the bench at the very least. He's playing wonderfully well. Like, he's to, to, I've always uh, slightly been. Uh, I, I can never quite work out why 
these big number 10s who can get you going, get you over the advantage line, and when you don't have to go through mini-ruck after mini-ruck, why they sort of gone into disuse. And when you see that boy play, blimey, he was absolutely phenomenal against a team which is good at decent in defence. Mm. So that's a good one. I'm going to have to stick to Dave Ewers. Um, <laughs> uh, he, well, he's just a monster of a man. He blocks out the whole horizon when he comes on the berth. Uh, I was talking to some of the players after, and he's very, very, very unassuming. Uh, it's consistent every week. I don't know, is he short of a yard of pace maybe? But the, the, he's got so many other things to give that I just think Dave Ewers is, is Exeter personified and their proper form personified as well. So that's three good ones. The man who beat 3,000 defenders, the man who uh, beasted 3,000 defenders at King's Home, and Dave Ewers, the unstoppable. That's the right for this week. We'll be back next week. Thanks a million to... Al and to Mark for being with us today. Don't forget, subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcast from. We think ours is the best rugby podcast and all the others are miles behind. <laughs> <laughs>